Thank you, Nathan. That's a fitting song for our discussion tonight from Colossians chapter 3. So if you will open in your Bibles or find a Bible to look on, Colossians chapter 3. I realize we've been going at a crawling pace recently, uh, spending four weeks on two verses, and we're going to pick up the pace and do two verses tonight, um, and then hopefully we'll... I always had these good intentions to do big chunks, and then I slow down, and, but on Wednesday nights we can do that, can't we, right? So, uh, Colossians chapter 3, let's, let's, read, let's read this whole section together, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands... As is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, for fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. So masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, the song that we've just sung, we want it to be the prayer and the cry of our heart. We want to acknowledge that you are king, and we want you to be the king of our lives. So would you accomplish that more and more tonight? Help us to surrender more of our lives to you, to your spirit, and to your word, and to your mission. Father, I pray that tonight that you would accomplish... um, sanctification in our hearts, that you would help us to think about our role in your kingdom and our role in this church and our role in the world and how you have created us to live. Help us to see Jesus as bigger and better and beautiful than any other rivals and help us to love him. May he be magnified among us tonight. Amen. Well, in 2006, there was a Wisconsin policeman by the name of Richard Noble who was on his way to work early one winter morning. And Noble wasn't, he wasn't just a, you know, a normal policeman. He was the chief of police in his local town. And that's good because he took his work very seriously and was a good man. On this particular morning, Noble was driving on you know, a four-lane road, you know, two lanes on the right, two lanes on the left, and, and, and he made a pretty significant mistake. Apparently, there was a dump truck that had stopped in the road in front of him, and so Noble lost a little bit of focus of what was going around, and, and he pulled over and passed it, you know, and just passed it in, in the left lane. But as soon as he did that, he realized that he had driven by a stopped school bus with his flashers on. Of course, that's a serious traffic violation. Yet in this case, there were no other policemen around, and Noble was a a policeman, so able to see that no one saw the infraction. Well, when uh, Chief Noble got to work, he promptly wrote himself a $235 traffic ticket. 
He even docked himself four points off his driver's license. For more than a year, no one knew about this incident. No one, no one knew about it until a reporter was, who was investigating another, uh, another story uncovered what the chief of police had done. And of course, he wrote about it in the, in the local newspaper. And he interviewed the chief and, and asked him, you know, like, why would, why would you do this? And the chief's response was something like this. He said, when we, get, when we get someone for not stopping for a flashing school bus, we give them a citation. Why should I be any different? Now, this is more than just a rare case of integrity, a refreshing case, isn't it? As I started researching this, apparently police officers do this quite regularly, or at least a few of them, <laughs> right? Uh, but it's a wonderful example of, of not just integrity among political officials or folks who have power, but it's a wonderful example of someone who rightly understands that God has a plan for authority, for authority, as we've said for many months now, the book of Colossians is all about making sure that Jesus Christ, who is the very image of God, who is, as we sang tonight, who is the creator and who is the redeemer of the world, it's all about being sure that he receives all the glory and all the honor that he deserves. Colossians is a book about the superiority of Christ. Over all things. He's the creator. And he's the commander. And he is the chief. And what we've seen is that life-altering reality. It's not just something that you agree with, you know, like sitting in a church pew or, or as I heard a story recently, you know, it's kind of acknowledge that God is God, right? That, that's, not how you, that's not how you agree with that statement. You must organize your life around the reality that Jesus is is Lord. I'm convinced that this is perhaps the single most important lesson for our church. You cannot rightly say that you're a Christian, that you've accepted Christ into your life, that you're going to go to heaven unless you are willing to submit to Jesus as ruler. You can't. It doesn't make sense. It, it means you're not following. It means you do not have faith in Christ. You cannot have a Savior and not have him as Lord. Becoming a Christian is not simply professing that Jesus is God or that hell is a bad place that you probably don't want to go. To become a Christian means that you are willingly placing your life under the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord. And you're trusting him you're giving authority to him who already has it to save you. And this section of Colossians here in the end of chapter 3 is, is all about how Jesus, who is Lord, the creator, has organized and delegated human authority here on earth. And it's really important to see this pattern so that you don't miss the, you don't miss the big picture here. Let me just review it quickly. This is why I read this whole passage of Scripture. But think about how this works. You can look at, your, look at your Bible as I'm walking through this. But think about it like this. Since Jesus is Lord, he gets to decide how human relationships work. Right? It's his, it's his world. He made us. We're his people. He gets to decide how things work. He's a God of order. 
and he delegates his authority to various deputies in different relationships. So, for example, we've already seen in verse 18, God has given the husband authority over his wife. And then in verse 19, even though God has given authority to the husband, God clearly establishes himself as the authority of the husband. You see that there in verse 19? He's telling him, you have to husband in a certain way. Well, then there's more. In verse 20, we see that God has established parents to be the authorities over their children. But then again in verse 21, they don't have ultimate authority. They can't do whatever they want, but God has authority over parents. And then in verse 22 and on, he moves on into the workplace. Masters or employers have been given authority by God over their employees. And that really, when we submit to our bosses and our masters, we're really submitting to God. And finally, there in verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Masters, yes, you must exercise authority in a certain way, but it's because you have a master. Do you see how all this works? Yes, husbands have authority. Yes, parents have authority. Yes, masters have authority. Yes, employees should submit. Yes, children should obey. Yes, wives should submit. God's over it all. Do you see that pattern? God gives authority, and it's all about responding to him. God has ordered the world in such a way that he's delegated authority in specific ways. And so any time that we as Christians submit to earthly authorities, we're really submitting to Christ. Do you see how that works? Now, I don't know if police chief Richard Noble was a Christian. I don't know if he valued the biblical principles of authority. But he clearly understood, just like the Roman centurion, even though he was a man in a position with authority over others, he was also in a man, he was also a man under authority, under the authority of the law. And his submission to authority, it, it honors God and it leads to human flourishing in the world that God has made. That's why he's placed authority structures. It's for good. It's for human flourishing. And so friends, I, I, we're all different sorts of people here tonight. So it doesn't matter what your specific authority profile looks like. You may have been, uh, you may have managed 50 people 10 years ago. Or maybe, maybe not, right? It doesn't matter what your authority, position of authority is like now, whether you have children or not, whether you have parents that you submit to or not. It's crucial that you understand God has made a creative order. So whether you're married or not, whether you have children at home or not, whether you work or not, whether your boss is an idiot or not, it doesn't matter. All of this is relevant to you because this is how God has ordered and structured his world. And so tonight, as we, as we talk about some of the un, unique challenges that are specific to children and parents and authority, I really want you to be thinking about how all of this fits into the bigger picture, that Christ is over all things. And your interactions with children are to teach them that same thing. The way you talk about authority, the way you exercise authority, and the way that you submit to authority tells the world and it tells children that are watching you what your view of Christ is. 
Even if you're not in any of these positions of authority, you can actually undermine them. You can functionally undermine them. And so my prayer tonight is that each one of us would yield more to Christ and how he's ordered the world. And that we would help model that submission to others. Christ has created the world and it's with his death that he has now redeemed the world. And with his resurrection, he is ushering in a whole new world. And so we can remember Philippians chapter 2, where the scriptures say, Therefore God exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I don't, it does not matter what your relationship is to specific children, God wants us to teach our children that. So our main idea tonight, let's put it something like this. For the Christian, we are called to submit to authority as an act of obedience to Christ. And that obedience will always yield a blessing. God is calling us to submit to the authority of Christ by submitting to the authorities of others. And that obedience will always yield a blessing. But let's consider this, as our text does, in in the context of parent-child relationships. After dealing with the role of the husband and the role of the wife in verses 18 and 19, Paul turns rather abruptly, not sure why, to, uh, to address children. And I find it interesting that here he speaks directly to children, which would assume that children in Colossae were able to hear and Paul assumed able to understand biblical teaching. All right, that may not seem significant, but in a day and age of like whiz bang pow sort of children's ministries, uh, this stands out, right? Children who were in the church at Colossae were not off, uh, you know, playing games somewhere. They were instructed, they were taught the Bible with the adults at times. And Paul speaks to children with authority, teaching them what God wants for them, and he expects them to listen. Already, this is a lesson for us. We are told in our culture again and again that our children have short attention spans and that they can't understand. I was talking with a a lady recently who got a new pastor at their church, and they radically changed their children's ministry, and they don't do Bible stories anymore. Because children can't understand Bible stories. Instead, they do cartoons with morals. That's crazy, right? It's crazy. Well, Paul speaks directly to children. He gives them God's word, and he gives it to them as a sure word of authority. Friends, children are not free to find their own way in the world. They are not able and wise enough to choose their own path. No, they must be taught just like us adults. They have been born into a world where Christ is the supreme authority and they come out of the womb disagreeing with that, just like every one of us did. So we all need to be taught it and your children need to be taught it. They are placed by people who love them under the authoritative word of God, and rightly so. Teach the scriptures to your children. Teach the scriptures to the children you have influence over. Paul's command to children here has two parts. 
And I realize that this is generally an adult audience, so we're talking about this from the adult perspective. But, but you'll notice that there's a command here, but there's also a blessing. Or there's a motive. And we'll talk about those each in turn. But the first, the command, children obey your parents in everything. Children obey your parents in everything. Now on the surface, this may seem clear and uncontroversial and perhaps even simple. But I don't, I don't, think, it, I don't think it is. This is countercultural, and if we were, we're not going to do a survey of, of family systems and, and social dynamics in American culture, we're not going to do that tonight. But I think there are significant implications from this one verse that we need to consider. Let me mention five. Five made the cut. The first is as obvious as the verse says it is. Children must obey their parents in everything. You see that? This verse, echoing the fifth command, clearly places children under the authority of their parents. So God has structured the world in a way where he wants children to submit to their parents and parents to be over their children. There's two roles established here. Obviously, children submit to God by obeying who? Their parents. But how do parents submit to God? By exercising parental authority over their children. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But the thing to notice first is that God has spoken. And God intends for children to obey their parents in all things. Okay, parents, think about what that means. God has designed your role with your children, and I would argue in some ways even as grandparents, but especially the parent, to be one of authority, not friendship. You understand? Not necessarily friendship. Sure, by God's grace, we often have the chance to enjoy wonderful parent-child relationships. But that is not God's primary intention. His intention is authority. I don't have time to tell you all the parenting fiascos that I get a chance to be involved with where parents don't understand that they are the authority. And if they're not authority, who is? Often I see, and I'm tempted in my, my own parenting, right? My wife and I talk about this quite a bit. I'm tempted to be a friend to my kids more than I am to be their authority, right? They're, it's way more fun to be friends, right? I don't like the look in my kids' eyes when I tell them to do something they don't want to do. And when I insist that they do it, that's no fun, right? There are parents who are terrified to be parents, because they may lose their child's approval. And if you're a parent, I know you've felt that before, right? And oh, grandparents, let me just say a word. Does not the temptation multiply? If we love the Lord, and if we love our children, that we need to recognize that we may have many friends, and our children may have many friends that come and go, but God has only given them one set of parents who are to exercise authority and to be a blessing to their children. This is God's idea, not your idea. He doesn't care about our ideas on this. He's already got this sorted out. This is not some oppressive societal construct. This was not created by humans to, to, to establish order, right? That's not what this is. This is the pattern of the creation. In fact, this is rooted in the Godhead himself. God is Father and Christ is Son. 
This began before the world. Do you see? Even Jesus submitted to his Father who loved him. Now, I hate to state the obvious, but do you understand what this means? When your children disobey, they are sinning. Do you understand this? When your children disrespect you, when they talk back to you, when they have to be told three times, when they refuse to obey, they are sinning. They are sinning against the God of the universe. They are defying him and they are rebelling against him. So grandparents, parents, teachers, aunts, uncles, I'm pleading with you in every way that is appropriate. I'm pleading with you for you first to see this. Disobedience is sin. Sin is dangerous. Sin leads to hell. And if you love your kids and if you love children, you will not let them live like this. Our response is, even as, even as Sunday school teachers, our response to disobedience teaches our children what we believe about God and what we believe about sin. And every time you just let it fly, every time you laugh off their disobedience, you are laughing off God's order for the world. I mean, do you see how easy this is? Like, I don't know about you, but I'm like, huh, I did that just the other day. Huh, right? Like, this is not a strange thing. This is common. It's very common. We cannot turn a blind eye to disobedience. Every time your child sins, you should be reminded that your child deserves hell. And if Jesus doesn't intervene and save your child, they will go there. And oh my goodness, don't turn a blind eye. Don't miss a chance to tell your children how much they need Jesus. Do not say, boys will be boys. That's bull. Don't say that. Don't, 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 admit, don't say, oh, she can't help it. Or she's tired, right? If you, when you do that, you become a complicit, a functionally complicit observer in your child's rebellion against God. Which brings me to a second implication, which really fits in with the first one. You, parents, you must expect your children to obey. You must insist that they obey. Don't give in. And don't take the easy way out. Oh my goodness, I'm there all the time. I was there like four times today. I know it is easier to negotiate and change what you said and change your mind and give in and just, I know it is so much easier and fun and they like you more, right? I mean, but how many times have you, how many times do we see this? Johnny, sit down. Johnny, sit down. Johnny, sit down. Okay, Johnny, here's a piece of candy. Sit down. Right? Like, it, uh, we're laughing, but like, there are, there are families in this church that have built their entire parenting strategy around this. Bribery. Parents, you must require obedience of your children because God requires it. This is not optional. Our lazy parenting is teaching our children to bend and to test the system. It starts with teaching them that it's okay to test our authority, and then it's okay to test other authority, and then it's okay to test God's authority. I was reading, I don't have time for that, never mind. Lazy parenting is teaching our children to hesitate, to not trust authority. It's teaching them that they are smarter and wiser and that they know better. 
is teaching them to despise God's authority. Practically, one of the ways we can do this, Sunday school teachers, I realize you do not have parental authority over my children, but I'm pleading with you. Give my children instructions and expect them to obey. Here's an example. Don't say something like this. Addie, why don't you put away the glue? (laughs) Now, if I'm Addie, I'm like, I'd rather not. I'd rather eat it. Why don't you put away? I mean, that's the heart. That's the heart that's wrapped up in in a child, right? No, or or don't say, Addie, would you mind sitting down? Right? Like, do you see this? You see this with grandparents all the time, right? Say, Addie, it's time to put down the glue. Put it down, please. Do you see the difference? Clear instruction or sit down now and then insist on obedience. Grandparents. Oh, I love grandparents. Let me speak to you for just a moment. I know that you have a plaque on your wall that says something like this. No means go ask grandma. Right? I know you've got that plaque and you need to take that stupid plaque down. Right? Or I don't spoil my grandparents. I'm just accommodating. Have you seen that one? Right? Please listen to me. If you love your grandchildren, would you teach them to fear God by teaching them to obey I know you will not be as popular, and I know that they will not get as much candy as you intend to shove down their throats, but teach them to fear God and to obey, not to manipulate authority. One of the best things that you can do, even if you think your kids are crazy on their parenting strategies, one of the best things that you can do is to come along and pleading with all of you as members of this body. To, to, we, we, we just brought in a young member to our church. A young child that accepted Christ. And we said, hey, we are going to cooperate as a church family. We're going to cooperate to help her learn how to walk with Christ. Well, that's what this means. Would you please come alongside your adult children. Come alongside me and my wife and all the parents in this family. And help teach their children obedience. Don't undermine their parental authority. Don't do it. Grandparents do this all the time without meaning it, I think. Support it. I've seen grandparents that are worse than children, right? You say something like this, kids, it's time to go to bed. And grandpa says, aw, come on, just a little bit later. I'm like, you go to bed, grandpa, right? <laughs> Grandpas are never awake when the kids are, right? Or, uh, or, yeah, come on, dad, just a little, undermining a parent's authority right in front of their children. That's a bad idea, dad, you need, you, right? That's, that's, If you want to be a blessing to your grandchildren, you don't need to be their best friend. You're not cool. You know that, right? You're not cool. Teach them the blessings of obedience. Teach them the hellish danger of disobedience. Insist that they obey. Take part in the massive rescue operation that we as Christian parents are engaged in, as we as a church are engaged in, and chase after the souls of your children. Show your children you believe the Bible, that you believe the proverb, that the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Show them. Insist on obedience. A third implication of verse 20 is that parents must exercise authority, right? I know these are closely related, but they they deserve separate attention, right? If God has made parents authorities in the home, who should be the authorities in the home? 
All right, good job. Parents should be the authorities. There's so many implications here, right? One, parents, you are responsible for your children. You are the primary ones responsible for disciplining them, discipling them, and instructing them. Michael and Brittany are not primarily responsible for discipling your children. You are. You understand that? You are responsible for teaching them the Bible, not primarily their Sunday school teachers. You are. I see so many parents just... It's like, I'm going to drop them off and expect a disciple to come out 18 years later. That is not how God has designed the home. Our role as a church is to come alongside parents and assist you as the primary disciplers. But this means that you can and must exercise authority, parents. You can insist to your kids and to your kids' coaches that they will not miss church for a soccer game. You can do that. God's given you that authority. You can insist that your teenagers attend church. They don't have to like it. You are the authority. You can insist that your children not play games on their cell phone during service. You can do that. We won't go into all this tonight, but part of authority means discipline. That is how you enforce and exercise your authority. You must discipline. Proverbs 23, 14 says that if you strike a child with a rod, right, that's an image for discipline, you will save his soul from Sheol. If you withhold discipline, you are complicit in their destruction. Two other quick implications. We could spend a lot of time on this. Um, Two other quick ones. Teach your children the blessings of obedience. Grandparents, teachers, you can do this like crazy. You can help enforce what your kids, what these kids are learning. The Bible is full of the blessings and the benefits of obedience, even to masters that are unjust, right? Have you read 1 Peter? I hope so. Don't be teaching my kids if you don't know 1 Peter 3. Teach them, model for them the blessing of submission, the blessing of obedience to authorities, Right, teach and models, and I hope you know. In in, uh, in in the Ephesians versions of this, Ephesians chapter five or chapter six, Paul says he he says, uh, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right." And then he goes on to say, "Honor your father and mother." And then in parentheses, he said, "This is the first commandment with a promise." If you go back to Exodus chapter twenty, you can read about this promise. It's in the Old Testament like two dozen times, where it says that it may go well with you. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I was talking with a a father recently, extremely defiant son, and we were talking about how to reach him and and how to parent him. And and one of the things I encouraged him to do is to plead with his son, son, when you disrespect and disobey, you are headed down a path of misery. The Bible says that if you obey your parents, you're going to have a happy life. It's right there. That's part of it. A regular part of our instruction as parents should not just be, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, you do that, I'll do this, right? It's not that, but plead with them to see the blessing of obedience. Obedience brings a happy life, even to teachers that are unfair at school. And disobedience will lead to ruin. Haley and I strive to make it clear to our kids, yes, disobedience will have unpleasant consequences, Right? We have unpleasant consequences in our home. But obedience leads to blessing. 
And we want them to know that and see that the best we can. And Paul bakes this in. He bakes this into the blessing of submitting to Christ as Lord. Right? If, if my kids see that I despise submitting to my boss, why in the world are they going to think that I like submitting to God? And if I refuse to obey traffic laws, <laughs> I gotta be careful, right? Karen and I had a conversation about speed limits this morning. <laughs> She's learning numbers, and I said, see that? What's that number? She said, 30. And I said, okay, that's the speed limit. She said, Daddy, how fast are you going? I was like, 32. Daddy, you're speeding. I'm like, well... <laughs> Right, but we, we, we want to teach our children that bl- obedience brings blessing. And so they need to see us obeying and honoring the authorities that God has placed in our lives. Teach your children obedience and submission is not drudgery. It's the path to happiness. Grandparents, aunts, uncles. Oh my goodness, you can do this so effectively. One final implication to this part is, it's a sober one, but I, I want to say it tonight. Children who are truly saved will have a desire to obey their parents. Children who are truly saved will have a desire to obey their parents. Listen, many of our kids have made professions of faith at early ages. And we praise God for that. Some are even baptized very young. But we've got to understand that one of the fruits of salvation, one of the best indicators to tell if a child truly knows the Lord, is the desire to follow Jesus as Lord. This is what's so tricky. This is why when I work with parents on this, I encourage them to be so cautious, right? It is one thing to have a child that says, I want to go to heaven and I want to be baptized because my friends are baptized and, you know, who wants to go to hell? It's another thing to have a child that has truly counted the cost to say, I want to follow Jesus. And that means I need to obey mommy and daddy. Now look, your kids aren't going to articulate it like that, which is why you got to help them. Which is why we need to understand, right? It, it doesn't mean that they're going to obey perfectly. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be mature thinkers. But if they are born again, they will have a desire, even an infantile desire, to obey Christ by obeying their parents. There will be a, some form of habitual obedience and some form, even if it's childish, of habitual repentance, of habitual sorrow over sin. Now, I, look, I know that can be really tricky, and I know you might be wondering some of the implications. Right? It's, it's difficult to discern the difference between immaturity and lostness. That's very difficult, which is why I think we need to be so careful with how we give our kids assurance. But the basic principle is this, and you can apply this. Children who follow Christ will obey their parents. Children who follow Christ will follow Christ by obeying their parents. And when they fail, they will be convicted by the Spirit and led to repentance on some level. So parents, grandparents, I'm pleading with you. This is one of the best ways that you can continually evangelize your children. Every time they sin, every time they fail, don't be like, oh honey, it's okay. 
is not okay. It's not okay at all. Definitely, I've seen, I've seen parents swoop in or grandparents swoop into a situation where a child sins and not only do they undermine mom and dad and not only do they undermine God's law, but they somehow like reward the kid because they don't want them to feel bad about themselves for sinning. Oh my goodness, do not, I'm pleading with you, do not do this, right? Tell your kids how much they need Jesus. And every time they sin, every time they fail, not in their piano practice, but every time they break God's law, Karis, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Daddy needs Jesus. You need Jesus. Don't, don't skip telling your kids about Jesus because they were baptized before. Tell them. How wonderful would it be to have a grandparent who says something like this? Hey, Johnny, I know that you've said you follow Jesus. I remember when you were baptized last year. I was there. I took pictures. But do you remember what Jesus said about obeying your parents? Little boys who want to follow Jesus must obey their parents. Follow Jesus. You see? Just to speak candidly, as a pastor, as a counselor, as a dad, I'm really worried. I'm really worried about this. And we need to take it really seriously. Okay, this passage also addresses parents specifically. I want to take just the last few minutes we have to, to look at this next verse. Where am I? Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke, do not exasperate your children, lest they become discouraged. So after speaking to children, Paul turns back to fathers. That's what the text says. But there are a couple of things to notice here. First of all, even though the text in English says fathers, the Greek word here could very easily be translated parents. There's an vers- instance of this uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, speaking about Abraham's parents. It uses the same Greek word. It's plural, right? It doesn't make sense for Abraham to have two fathers, right? He has parents. So we get that, right? So in other words, this is to parents. Parents, I would say, uh, do not exasperate your children. And of course, even if it... And Paul's probably speaking primarily to fathers, but of course this applies to mothers and anybody that works with children. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Right? So we see Paul, again, balancing out his instruction a little bit. Yes, parents should insist on obedience. Yes, they should discipline. Yes, they should do these things. But Paul is careful to issue a word of caution. All right? He's careful. Just as husbands are to exercise authority without being harsh, you remember, verse 19, so too are parents to exercise authority without embittering their children. Now, this deserves a lot of time that we're not going to give it to tonight. I would encourage you to think about it. But when Paul says, don't provoke, he's pleading with parents to exercise authority but to strive to do it in a way that encourages, in a way that blesses our children. That does not mean that your kids, hey, I feel encouraged by your discipline, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Right? This is not that. Their kids aren't, no one's smart enough, right? Hebrews says that discipline seems unpleasant at the time, but afterwards it yields fruit for those who are trained by it. We want to... We, we, want to, we want to discipline our kids and, and be authorities for our kids in a way that is a blessing to them. 
and not to exasperate them. Uh, one commentator said that if you, there's a, this is a complicated Greek word and so that there's a lot of discussion about it, but he summed it up by saying you're, you're trying to interact with your children in a way that is doing all you can to avoid rebellion. Right? Now, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that because I cannot tell you how many parents I talk to and they're like, I don't tell my kids they can't watch that on TV because they're going to go watch it on any way later, right? Or they're going to think I'm too strict or something. I'm like, no, no, no. All right, so let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. But, but you know what I'm talking about, right? The, the type of parenting that, 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 that nurtures the rebel, right? And of course, this isn't a formula, or if it was, I'd have some multi-million dollar book contract and whatever, but it, right, this, it's not a formula, but, but there's some principles at play here, right? We want to pay close attention to the hearts and to the spirit of our children. And do we not know they are so different, aren't they, right? If you've got more than one child, you're like, the second one came out, you're like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> it's nothing like the first one, right? We, we want to pay close attention to their spirit and to their hearts so that we can interact with them in a way that they don't lose heart. My dad parented me different than he did my sisters. And that was wise because we're different. We don't want them to be discouraged. In other words, our authoritative discipline is to be balanced with tenderness. I believe it is possible for parents to discipline too much. I didn't always say this because I couldn't articulate it biblically, but now I can, right? It is possible to correct too frequently. It's possible to press our children towards discouragement by correcting too much and tempting them to give up. This sort of exasperation, I think, can take a lot of different forms. So I'm just going to mention a couple, and you can go home and think about this in, in light of your particular kids. One of the things I do with counselees is I'll say, uh, you know, take each one of your children, think about where they are spiritually, and write where they need to grow and perhaps where you may be exasperating them because they respond differently. Here, here are just a couple examples. Uh, exasperation, I don't have a clever word for this, right? Uh, a form of exasperation, number one. My goodness, that's terrible. Crushing expectations and goals. Right? Crushing expectations and goals. It is, a, a wise parent will work hard to find the balance between teaching your child to strive for excellence without crushing them with unrealistic expectations. Right? For some of our children, we need to challenge them to go make the A. And for some of our kids, we need to challenge them to go make the C and to celebrate it. Know your kids. Know where they struggle. Get, pay attention to their hearts. Try to help them discover how they can live in the world, how they can go to school, how they can play upward basketball, how they can interact with their teachers in a way that honors the name of Christ, Colossians 3.17. Know your kids. Don't set crushing expectations and goals. Let Christ set expectations. Another way we can get into trouble here is parents trying to relive your, relive your childhood, right? We're, we, I think we all understand how this works. If not, just go to a, an upward basketball game. Pay attention, right, Nate, right? Like watch the dad on the sideline screaming at his son, use your other hand, right? Like, yeah. It's totally fine for us to hope that our kids enjoy the same things we enjoyed as kids. 
if my kids don't pull for North Carolina basketball, they're not going to eat, but whatever, right? Like, it's fine for us, to, for us to hope they enjoy the same things, but we have to be careful about forcing our preferences or our interests on them. We really got to be careful about taking the ways that we are disappointed in ourselves and then forcing that onto them, right? We can crush them. Just because you regret quitting playing piano does not mean that your kid needs to play piano. <laughs> Ooh, that touch a nerve there, right? Like, do you know what I mean? Don't try to live your childhood. Uh, a third way is, is, is excessive criticism. We can exasperate our kids with excessive criticism. And that word criticism, I don't mean that to be like criticism. I mean it to mean correction. All children are tender, but to different degrees. And love would demand that we carefully ask, is now a good time to correct my child? Right? There are times when Addie cannot function. She's so tired she can't stand up. That is not the time for me to expect her to obey with a a split second or otherwise she's getting a spanking. Right? Do you know what I mean? Are they rested enough? Are they emotionally stable right now? Right? There are times where my kids are crying so loud they can't hear me, much less obey me. Just because, another way to think about this is just because that you know things that your kids don't, which you do, I hope, (laughs) right? That doesn't mean that they need to learn it all at once. I got to be so careful with this. I cook the perfect egg. I do. I just do, right? Um, That doesn't mean that I need to criticize Karis when she's not moving the spatula enough so it doesn't stick to the bottom of the pan like my dad did and fed me terrible eggs. Terrible eggs. Skin. Dry eggs, right? He's better now. Right? That doesn't mean that I need to tell them everything I know about everything all the time, which makes them feel dumb, right? Give them room to fail. Give them room to learn, to experiment, to discover. The same thing goes for excessive discipline. There are times that we could discipline that we shouldn't. I wouldn't have said that a year ago, I think. There's times that we shouldn't discipline. There's times, sometimes it's because we're lazy. That's bad. But sometimes we sincerely should overlook for the sake of love. Final way, I'll go quick, is, is overprotection, right? Part of your parent, part of your role as a parent is to prepare your child to thrive in the world. And that is not the same thing as protecting them from the world, which number one, you can't do, right? Not possible, but you need to prepare them to grow up. And so give them a chance to practice being an adult. We'll say that for more later. But I think you, I think you get the gist of this. Parents are not to be best friends and they're not to be drill sergeants either. So strive to balance tender, reasonable authority. Learn from your kids. Ask them questions. Listen to them. As they grow, accept and and ask for their feedback. The bottom line is this. Just like you and me, our kids need Jesus. We are not Jesus. We can't save them. But Jesus can. So make it your constant goal, whether it be in your kids' failures or whether it be in your failures as an adult. Point them to Jesus. He is the perfect son, and it's only through his sacrifice that we can know the perfect father. So don't miss a chance to point them to him. Father, we pray that you would bless all of our good intentions, and that you would use us as parents, as teachers, as grandparents, to be a blessing to our children so that they can be a blessing to the world. We ask this in your name. Amen. You're dismissed, church. Go in peace.